This is Jason Cast. This is Scott Nearman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I tell you what, Scott, this business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. And that is why we started this podcast called MP Local. Hey, 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 welcome all you MP Local listeners. Welcome to MP Local Podcast, where you are not alone. I'm Jason Cass. I'm Scott Nearman. And we are glad you are here because we created this podcast for you. you. That's exactly right. This is for you, and we really are glad that you're here. Um, You know, as you guys kind of know, you've listened to around five or six other podcasts. If you haven't, that's quite okay. That's quite okay. Um, You have a lot of things to do, but that's why we keep these in short little nuggets for you. And here's the thing about today's show. I think it's something that's relevant. And well, actually, no, it's not. So I know it's something that's relevant. And the reason is, is Scott here as my co-host, as you know, is a um, executive director of a uh, good foundation down in, uh, am I right? Tennessee and Knoxville, Tennessee or Chattanooga? Just outside of Knoxville. Yes. Just outside of Knoxville. That's what I thought. And so he was talking about some of his struggles. And he said, Cass, there's nowhere we probably need to talk to and other things that are related to what I'm going for. So he sent me over some stuff and I said, we got to scrap what we already had, Scott. This is what we got to talk about. This means important stuff to the MP local. Now to set this up for you real quick, it is December 4th. So we're in the Christmas spirit. We all know we should be in this spirit 12 months out of the year, but we usually only for for about a year and a half, a month and a half. Um, so understand that that's the frame of reference. So if you're listening to this in March, May, June, think about back to this time. But also the things we talk about here are very important to the future. Scott, why don't you start to lead it off here and, and kick this off and give them a view of where this came from in your mind? Well, I came across a report, Jason, uh, from the Blackbaud Institute called the Blackbaud Institute Index. And this is a company that is actually a software company, but they uh, do some research as well. They've got a research arm because they're, you know, uh, looking to support those of us in the field. Um, and, now, uh, now, real I, quick, maybe a lot of people don't know what is this institute here. You want to spell that out for them? Give them the website. The Blackbaud Institute. It's uh, you can find the information at institute.blackbaud.com. Uh, most folks in the field know that Blackbaud has uh, a number of different software packages that we, some of us, use every day. Uh, they're a big organization. Uh, I'm not trying to give them a bunch of PR, but really uh, was very interested in this particular research that they had come up with um, about the COVID crisis that we're in the middle of. And they have done some some research. They have uh, back in August, they published the State of the Social Sector series, which breaks down some of this data uh, in different categories. So in our first episode, we talked about the, the size and scope of the nonprofit sector and all of the different types of organizations that are represented. Yeah. Um, and so they have reports on arts and culture, faith communities, healthcare, higher ed, K-12 education, and others. Wow. Um, and so what they're talking about is the overall charitable giving in 2020. So uh, the last 12 months, as of September 30th, uh, 2020, compared to September 30th of 2019. There was just some interesting things in here that I thought were relevant. And I think I've said before, you know, 
Um, you know, we, we designed this podcast for those new to the field That's and right. also for those small, maybe medium-sized organizations that cannot afford a full-time fundraiser, who cannot afford the staff that they need, or they're maybe primarily volunteer run, the church basement kinds of organizations, right? Right. Well said. And Blackbaud defines a small as less than a million dollars in annual fundraising revenue. You'd be surprised. Uh, what would you say? That's probably 60, 70, 80 percent of them out there. Yeah. You know, I don't have that in front of me, but I definitely it's think probably that's, the old uh, 80, 20 rule more than the that's right. More than than half. Uh, but what's interesting about these giving trends is that the medium and large organizations um, are faring a little bit better right now. Uh, in fact, overall, all sectors combined and, and Blackbaud. You know, they've got a footnote in here that they're, this is representative uh, sampling of the nonprofit sector in the United States. They've actually got a separate report for Canada and the UK and, and others, but this is the and United all States different report. Size, and, and all different sizes of funding, right? You're talking about some of the, because it's a majority of it's a million dollars or less. But if you come to this uh, local listeners, you can kind of see that there's all That's different right. types of breakdown. But, the, but in the last 12 months, ending September 30th, compared to the prior 12-month period, small organizations are down about 4.4% in fundraising revenue. What's different is when you get above a million dollars in annual fundraising revenue, those folks are actually up 1.5% despite the COVID crisis. And the large organizations are up more than 4.5%. Now, time out, time out. That's different than what you said. I thought you said that the smaller ones were very were, were doing well here, better than the larger ones. Did I hear that wrong, Scott? No, no, quite the opposite. Okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Yeah, so the so small organizations, if you think about it, and I've worked with a number of them as a, as a board member, as a volunteer, um, and even early on in my career. And, you know, these are organizations that are absolutely reliant on volunteer management. In fact, that's where we were going to go with our next podcast, right? Is talking. Mm -hmm. We talked about the board and the role of the board, and they are volunteers, and they should be donors. Um, but there's also good volunteer management principles that we want to get to in a future podcast. But the reality is, for example, hospitals, uh, nursing homes, they're not having volunteers come to their organizations right now in the middle of a pandemic. So we, we pushed that one off. Um, but these small organizations are dependent on their volunteers. Volunteers keep their doors open. Volunteers make the fundraising events True. happen, not some large fundraising team. Whereas if you look at a larger entity that can afford to pay staff strictly for this fund development um, process and department, um, they're faring better right now because they are staffed and they are trained and they are able to pivot a little bit easier and more quickly. So can I tell you a little thing that we've discovered in business over the last probably five to 10 years? And it kind of relates here. Um, it comes to adaption. And it goes with everything we're talking about in COVID. You know, one of the things I've talked about this a lot in my speeches that I give across America is called digital Darwinism. Very similar concept here as to if you don't adapt in, 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 in digital means that you will be put out of business. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I think sometimes we hear with these smaller non-for-profits is they see the larger ones and they think, wow, you know, oh, donors are used to giving to them. It's a, they see them on TV, you know, oh, that's why they gave to them. It's easy to forget about our little food pantry over here. You know, it's, it, and I get that. But I think if we want to be more honest, we can see that there's something else working there. You know, Charles Darwin, who through the evolution, one of the things that he did, this is a big lie. Do you know that he never said it's survival of the fittest? Hmm. Did you know that he never said the strongest survive? 
He never said that. What he did say was it does not matter how big you are or how smart you are. It's those who are willing to adapt that move forward. So why are in our local community, are there small uh, local uh, nonprofits who are faring well? Why are the large ones faring well? It is easier for a large one to adapt more with technology and tools and volunteers, as you're saying. But sometimes we need to look and we need to realize I may be a three person or a five pet person in the basement, as you're talking about, of the church. But that means that we're able to adapt a little bit more. Are we looking for those strategies rather than trying to blame it just on donors? How do we adapt to keep those donations coming in? I think that's really important. We're dealing with that in the business sector, and I see that parallel over here. Absolutely, and and certainly you're right. There are small nonprofits that are rocking and rolling. Uh, they're doing very well, and I think it's you know I have a philosophy that I share with my team. I did that early on. Anytime I've started a new position um, in leading a fundraising effort, that. If we do enough of the right things, um, good things happen, right? The magic starts to happen. So what what are those right right things? And it may be different in different types of organizations. We've talked here recently about engaging board members, very much like you engage volunteers and engage donors. Uh, In many cases, those are one and the same. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, what do we do? And, and, uh, you know, I actually uh, attended early in this pandemic, a John Maxwell uh, webinar, you know, John Mm. Maxwell out of Atlanta is one of the best leadership gurus Mm. that I've ever known. And, you know, his number one priority when he talked about leading during crisis is it's all about people, people first. And so, you know, you look, think about Jim Collins and his book, Good to Great for Business. He's got a monograph that many people don't realize it's good to great for the social sectors. It's talking about nonprofits. Did not know that. I need to get that book. Wow. Well, and, and if you don't have time for the book, there's uh, there's some nice little YouTube videos of him giving this lecture on the different principles in those books. Oh, wow. Um, wow. We Collins, need to take some of those and break those down for the listeners. Great stuff, Scott. But, you know, the first rule that he talks about is get the right people on the bus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that, that we will talk about that we have talked about and that many others have talked about uh, that get you through a time of crisis. And I think that's where we want to go. We want to give our listeners uh, some hope. Uh, but, Jason, the reality is you, you can't deny it. Um, in fact, Blackbot is saying some 900,000 nonprofit professionals have been laid off this year. That's mm. astounding. Mm. Now, we talk about the size and the scope of this sector. It mm. is approximately 2% of GDP and has been for 40 years. Um, big. But the sheer number of nonprofits, as as our economy grows, the nonprofits are growing with it. And and the reality is some of them are not going to survive. So I think if these two episodes that hopefully we can do on this topic um, do anything, I think it's going to help those local listeners who are maybe on the cusp. Um, maybe they're not doing all of the right things. Maybe they don't have the right people on the bus. And what can they do now to, as you say, adapt any nonprofit that's trying to scale uh, that's trying to get the right people on the bus, that is trying to uh, be sure that their team is adequately trained um, and to grow. Uh, I think that's in most organizations' best interest. Now, there's a certain level of adaptability in those mm-hmm. small organizations, as you mentioned, that is a very beautiful thing. The larger organization you become a part of, uh, the more rules and regulations, the more policies and processes you know that, that you're bound by. And so there's there's pros and cons, but at the end of the day, um, following some good principles, I think, uh, is what's going to give these nonprofits out there some hope, um, our listeners, that 
are trying to make some of these decisions, whether it's staffing or whether it's budget cuts or whether it is, um, you know, do I Whatever. tackle this direct mail project or do I try to have a virtual event? There's a lot of things out there that organizations are doing right now that are creative, such as virtual events. But are those you know, unless you know how to do that, well, we're planning our first one for next spring. Uh, okay. We, we have been in the middle of, of sharpening the sword, as you might say, and, and working on policies and processes and things. That's a good I'm, thing to do. You know, fairly new in my current role. Uh, but we are, um, you know, laying the groundwork for future success. And, you know, one of the, the organizations that I consult with is, is laying the groundwork for a new strategic plan uh, and things like that. So we are trying to use this time right now in my organization to sharpen the sword and, and really just to keep going with the core business functions. And I, I have to think that so many organizations are doing that. I agree. And so what are some of those things that you're doing to overcome that or others could do to overcome that? Well, you know, I think it's things like we've talked about um, in other episodes. So uh, we've talked about having trained people, having qualified people. And how yes. do you do that if you can't afford them? Do you have a structure uh, that you can bring in volunteers or engage your board to help do some of those functions? Um, it's having a functional fundraising program. Have you have you got something happening in each level of that pyramid so that you are not only acquiring? In fact, that's exactly what... Uh, Blackboard recommends when they break down the the report uh, for each sector. Some of the things they recommend uh, include um, sustained annual giving, uh, donor acquisition. Those are the bottom two levels of the pyramid, right? You want to bring mm -hmm. new people in. In fact, there was an actually an astounding increase after the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act that um, increased new individual givers, according to the IRS. Wow, so there was there was this drastic jump, and it's interesting because you know in that law the the standard deduction uh, doubled, right? So they're not getting a tax benefit, and I think that reminds those of us agree. in the nonprofit world that the tax benefit is not why most people give. Yes, it has affected um, the 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 maybe the volume or the flow of those gifts, but it is not. The number one reason they give again john maxwell it's all about people people first in a crisis and people want to help people mm -hmm. and people give to people and people give to causes okay so they're not so much about your formal entity that's why we have a number of successful nonprofit associations that are not even incorporated in this country people mm -hmm. give people in this country being one of the most giving countries in the world the most giving in the world as we have said um the, you know overall Overall, uh, if you look at the very top of this report, year over year, nonprofit giving is up 2.2%. So for our listeners, if you're not up 2% right now, if you're one of those organizations or one of those subsectors that's struggling more than others, think about donor acquisition, getting your message out and getting new people in the door. And then think about those folks that are already in the door, how you get them to do a sustained annual or sustained monthly giving. And then diversifying uh, where those revenues come from. Is your database up to snuff so that you know that you're reaching out to those businesses that can support you, those individuals that can support you, those churches and civic organizations that can support you? Do you have the database in order? Did you go through the yellow pages? You know, this is a good task for a volunteer. I've done this. No, this is great. Have them, have them take your local phone book, if, to the extent those exist anymore. <laughs> Google. Go through, that's right. Use Google. Subscribe to one of those cheap services if you need to. 
right? Plug it in a spreadsheet. I mean, I've done this before. A volunteer, uh, a retiree who was um, very capable of using Microsoft Excel would go through the local chamber directory or the local phone book and write down and being a local person themselves, knowing the organizations in their small community, plugging it in a spreadsheet, running down, making phone calls, hunting down the contact name, hunting down the address. Those things really pay off. You know why this really pays off, and I want to wrap this up to keep it short, and we'll continue on on part two. You know why that really pays off and how I know that that's a fact? Because I always give to like these places that call me on the phone, and I can tell they're doing it for an organization, whether it's the Knights of Columbus or some organization, and you can tell they're a smaller organization, but that's not what gets me. It's usually a volunteer on the phone. Right. It's not, hey, this is the local golf course and, you know, we're trying to do this fundraiser or whatever. It's somebody calling from the golf course. It's like, hey, this is Jim. I'm a golfer here. They're having a fundraiser. To me, that's like, wow, someone's not paying a business to do this. This is a volunteer who obviously believes in it and it helps sh shed that, that with me. I really I've never thought of that before, Scott. That's a good nugget right there. That's uh, good. Just two more things. I mean, what, you, what we're talking about is communication. And I think we've also said that in the past. Communicate with your donors. Communicate with your board. You've got to get the message out. And right now, when most of us are working from home um, or remotely in some fashion most of the time, get that email out the door. Make that phone call. Donors um, who do not hear from you during this crisis. Uh, actually, this was in an article uh, by Lighthouse Council out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, fundraising consulting firm, they said some research shows that some donors will never forgive you. You're giving them the opportunity to participate in something. You're giving some folks with the means, the opportunity to make a difference during the pandemic. Right. And if they don't have that opportunity, they don't get the privilege of, of helping and serving. So there are ways of doing things. There, uh, there's a number of basic principles that these sorts of times uh, force us to slow down and think about. So here's what the deal is. We're going to go ahead and end this because notice most of this was about keeping the money you have coming in or in, but not stopping when just because there's a COVID and be like, well, people don't want to give. I hope you've been able to listen to Scott and turn that around. Now, the part two of this that we're going to roll into the next one is, is how do we cut expenses? Where should we be cutting expenses? What are some things we look at? In the insurance industry or in the business world, anytime the um, economy fails, the first thing that most businesses do is lay off their marketing team and they'll ramp up their sales team. And cut and their training. And it's, yeah, and it's completely opposite that needs to be done. So let's share and let's hit on that for the nonprofit industry at our next podcast. Sound good, Scott? Sound good, Scott? Sounds good. All right, man. Fantastic. Hey, for all you local listeners out there, we do appreciate you. We want you to remember that you are not alone when it comes to this. It's the reason why we created the podcast. Scott said to me, he said, Cass, there's things that I see people struggling with that we got to get this word out there. We hope that you're getting something from this. And once again, my name is Jason Cass. He is Scott Nierman, and we thank you for your time.